You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Have you ever realized that it's really easy to get shut down? Just to get squashed? You might be in a business meeting, you're brainstorming, and you have a great idea, and somebody just comes along and they just squash your idea, and you just kind of learn, you know what, I guess I just won't talk anymore in that situation because you just squashed my idea. Other times you get shut down because you have a disappointment or you have a setback. Other times it's very easy to get shut down. Maybe you thought, well, I'll start maybe witnessing or or telling my neighbor about the good news of Jesus, and they're like, I don't want to hear it, and you kind of got shut down. Other times our own hearts cause us to shut down. Because we got limitations, right? I got my fears. I got my liabilities. I have limitations. I've got disappointments. I've got life experience. My mind can begin to make agreements with life that shut me down. And maybe it's true for you. You might, in your head, you might say things like, I don't think I'll ever get closer to God. I just don't know that I will. You might say and make an agreement in your mind that I just don't know that I can live out my purpose. Maybe that's for other people. You might think in your mind that, you know what, your marriage might not ever improve. You might think that your sin patterns are permanent. You might think that you won't ever get a lot closer to God and, and that your life could never change. And you begin to make these agreements in your mind. And when you do that, basically a road, a pathway has begun in your mind when you make an agreement with a thought like that that makes you kind of shut yourself down, not take that next step to get close to God, not take that next step to risk outside of your comfort zone. And you begin to do these things that shut your mind down. You pave a pathway, making an agreement that may in fact not be accurate in your life. Well, you and I sometimes need to change our mind. We need to change the pathways that exist in our mind. We need to rewire, in a sense, our brains, especially when it comes to areas that you and I can maybe easily get shut down. My uh, Greek professor, the one who initially started teaching me Greek, her name is Elodie Emig, and she has been a Greek professor for years out at Denver Seminary. Well, this last year, she had a stroke. By the way, uh, she not only is my first Greek professor for my very introduction to Greek class, but she also was Zachary's Greek professor. And that just says a lot when you're like, I remember your dad from grad school. Like, she, you know, she taught me and now she's teaching him. She's been doing this a long time. Brilliant lady, right? This last year she had a stroke. And she said after coming out of her stroke that the part of her brain that got damaged is the part of her brain that actually is the one that recalls words. So she's searching for the word, but that part of her brain that recalls words is damaged. And so she's got to go to the vocabulary, but she's got to go through another means. And she said recently that she is learning to use non-damaged parts of her brain to go around and search and grab the word she's looking for so she can speak it. She's having to rewire her brain because part of it is damaged. And she's actually going through the process to rewire her brain and overcome her limitations in order to speak. Now, some of you in the room, you're like, I have that. It's called age, right? You're looking for that word and you just can't find it, what it is. And you, and you think it's that. But for her, it was actually stroke-induced. You have limitations. She's having to work through her limitations, but she's finding she can offer her limitations to Jesus. Jesus, this is what I have to offer. This is what's going on in my life. I can offer you my brokenness. I can offer you my woundedness. I can offer you my health condition. And in all these ways, she's basically offering God her limitations and what she has. Well, maybe for you, 
you might consider this Christmas offering God your limitations. They might be fear. It might be your brokenness. It might be that you're just a little bit afraid to share your faith. It might be that you are limited in your thinking because of just how you've been behaving or you got in a fight with somebody or there's all sorts of things. But I would encourage you to offer Jesus what you have because God's going to take what you have and he's willing to say, I'll work with you. I don't just work with some people. Everybody's got limitations. Everybody's got parts of their brain that need rewiring. Everybody's made agreements that limit who I want them to be. And I want to call you out of that and rewire parts of your brain to be able to grow in faith and share Jesus with others. So God wants to awaken your mind and my mind to a better life story. And for there to be the beginning of hope, for there to be the thrill of hope, a lot of people have hope, but for there to be the thrill of hope, there's got to be defeat or despair or desire. There's got to be the unexpected happening. There's waiting. It begins this anticipation in you, right? Can this really be? Kids feel it. Is Christmas really coming? This is really happening. They get all excited about it. We begin to say, can this really be? Can this really happen? There is personal stretching. There's a renewal of the heart. And some of you in this room, you're begging. You're like, God, I just need that. Can it really be that you could reach my heart? Can it really be that you could renew my heart? God, I've gotten myself into this place or this condition or this stuckness. And God, can you actually make a dead heart come to life? Can you actually make a damaged heart learn new things? Can you take my brain and my thinking and my patterns, and can you actually work in my life and bring me some freedoms and renew me? And God's answer is yes. He wants to begin in you the thrill of hope. And here's why you need this sermon. You're called to invite others into the thrill of hope that you've experienced because God has loved you and shown his mercy to you. And right now, we're going to look at continuing the story. We've looked back two weeks ago at Elizabeth. And Zechariah, two very old people who the desire of their heart was to have kids. But they are long past the childbearing years. And an angel has appeared to them and said, you're going to have a son. And, and Zechariah says, what? How can this even happen? I'm really old and my wife is advanced in years. And he's saying just basically, I, I don't think this can happen. The angel said, because you did not believe, I'm going to silence you until the time comes for you to name your son. And he can't speak. The words are in there. He just can't get them out. He can't, he's recalling them for no problem, but he just can't speak. And he comes out, and shortly thereafter, he and his wife, they get pregnant, and he begins to walk that journey. Elizabeth is marveling before God at what he's done in her. And so the time comes, and we're going to look at that, of what happens at this time. Luke chapter 1, if you'll open with me to verse 57 and following. When it was time for Elizabeth... To have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, his name, or he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. See, it was Jewish custom to carry on the family name, to carry on the line. This is a priestly line. Zechariah serves as a priest. That's your birthright if you're in the tribe of Levi. And so he is on as a priest, and they have very big attachments to the names that have been passed down. And she says, no, his name is John. 
They said, there's none of your relatives who has that name. Verse 62, they made signs to the father to find out, well, what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Elizabeth and Zechariah have a choice. They've got to choose to give in to the family pressure or they've got to choose to do what is right and do what God has asked them to do. Interestingly, Elizabeth's name means the oath of God. What's an oath? An oath is a promise. It's actually stronger than a promise. But when God makes an oath, he, he doesn't have anything higher to swear by. If God were to swear by an oath, he would only swear by himself, he says in Scripture. So he swears an oath. He makes an oath. Zechariah's name means remembered by God. That God has remembered him. That their deepest desire had been to have a child all these years. And, and God has not forgotten. They have forgotten because of they're aware of their limitations. God, I got limitations. I've shut myself down. I've got limitations. How could this ever happen? Because I'm advanced in years. And then God shows them that he's a big God, that God can do whatever God wants to do, and he's not hindered by our limitations. So both, the oath of God is the promise of God, and Elizabeth holds to it. She says, his name shall be John. And they're like, okay, that's great, but let's check with your husband. And they check with him, and he says, we have been remembered by God. He writes out, his name is John, and all of a sudden, he's rewired, and his mouth can open and speak, and immediately he begins to praise God. Listen, I want to tell you something. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Your faith grows when you stand strong in the face of opposition. Your faith grows when you stand strong in the face of opposition. And believe me, this is friendly fire that they're experiencing. These are their close friends. These are people who know their relatives, and they're basically countering it, saying, please, why would you name the kid that? Certainly name him someone in your family line. They're well-intentioned dragons. And maybe you have some in your life. They're well-intentioned people, but they're actually leading you in a way that might be against what God's will is for your life. The beautiful thing is they knew exactly what God's will was in their life and in the life of their son. His name shall be John. Write this down. It's not on your outline. Sometimes you have to displease people in order to please God. That one's free. You can have that. Sometimes you have to displease people in order to please God. Listen, you're coming up to the holidays, and you've got expectation and family members and kids, and some of you are going to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do some things that help out other families at this time of year. We're going to do some things that help bless other people. And so, kids, you're not going to get the amount of toys that you normally get. And sometimes, parents, it's good for you to displease little people so that you can please God. And sometimes you're going to have to draw boundaries with your family. You're going to have to draw some things where you basically are able to say, I can't do everything. I've got to pace myself at this time of year. I've got to make room in my heart for God. And sometimes you're going to have to stand strong. What happens when you do that and you obey the Lord? Your faith grows. Remember, Zechariah's name is remembered by God. 
he follows his command in naming his son John. And, John. and God remembered their heart's deepest desire to have a son. Write this down. Obedience to God in that which doesn't make sense can awaken hope in those who are unprepared for God. It's so funny. I think people think, well, if I could just have all the answers, I could just argue other people to God. If I could just have all the answers and all the knowledge, then I will absolutely convince other people to come to God. You know how God works a lot of times? He works through the nonsensical. God works in areas that don't make sense. Why? Because he understands the human condition. He understands that to awaken hope in somebody, there's got to be the unexpected. If it's expected, people love to elevate and shoot that down, Right? Happens among athletes or celebrities all the time. You elevate them, and then as soon as they get the opportunity, shoot them down. God loves to work with the unexpected. God loves to work out of left field. God loves to say, I will become flesh and dwell among people. I'm going to do it in the humble form of an innocent baby. That's unexpected. He could show up in the heavens with all his angels and threaten everybody. That's not what he does. He loves to do it through the unexpected. He does things that don't make sense. And, and what happened to the friends and relatives? If they had simply named John the family name, name him after Zechariah or his family's line, yes, everyone would have been like, oh, yep, just a kid like everybody else. I don't know how they did it. They're really old, but just a kid like everybody else. But because they obeyed God, the people began to anticipate, what then is this child going to be? They begin to see God's hand is in this situation. It's so unexpected. What then is this child going to be? Well, we have to ask the question, what is this child going to be? And fortunately for us, Zachariah is a priest. And so shortly thereafter, he begins to prophesy. He tells us what kind of child this child John is going to be. And so if you look with me at chapter 1 of Luke, verse 76, he prophesies this about his son. He says this, and you, my child will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So what then will this child be? He'll be the one who prepares the hearts of the people for their Messiah, Jesus. So John is born. Jesus right now is still in Mary's pregnancy. He's there. He hasn't shown up on the scene yet. John is born ahead of him. And so God is going to use John in John's life to prepare people for the good news of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. We ask the question, what then will this child, is he going to be? And anticipation for the people begins. Why? Because there have been 400 silent years without any prophetic revelation. Then these really old couple get pregnant. The guy prophesies. Their son has huge anticipation about who he's going to be. And people have been waiting for so long since God really interacted with the people of Israel in a dynamic way. 400 silent years. And they got to think back. Well, what did God say the last time he kind of spoke through the prophets? Well, you look back at Malachi. In Malachi 3, verse 1, God speaks. He says, I will send my who? My messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. The last thing God said 
400 years earlier, as part of his message in the book of Malachi, was to let people know, I will prepare a messenger who will prepare the hearts of the people before I show up. And now they're saying, well, who's this child going to be? What is this child going to be? It's amazing. Anticipation has begun. God is remembering and fulfilling his oath. So he's Zechariah and Elizabething his oath to the people that he said, I promise I'll send my messenger. And now I'm remembering my promise through the, through the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth that he remembered, which is what Zechariah means, remembered by God, and that Elizabeth, the oath of God, he's remembering that. Why? God keeps his promises. He will do what he said he will do. You know how sometimes you and I get shut down? You get shut down when you kind of think, well, I don't know if God's really coming back. I don't know if Jesus is really coming back. It seems like there's been a lot of kind of silent years. And I'm not sure. Is Jesus actually physically going to come back to this earth? And would it happen in my lifetime? We don't know. If it'll happen in your lifetime, but here's what we know. God keeps his promises. God will do exactly what he said he's going to do, even if it seems like there's been a bunch of silent years. And so we are on this side, like the people of Israel were, and we're saying, well, what then? What then is this child going to be? And it, it begins to make us ask, what then are the children of God, people like you and me who put our faith in God and know that he's going to return, what kind of children are you and I going to be? We can stand on the sidelines God, I want to spectate, and I just want to look and see. Or we can be the kind of people who prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. We can't prepare it and make him come faster. God's going to come when he's good and ready. But we can prepare the way by making a people ready for the coming of the Lord. So what kind of child of God, let me ask you, are you going to be? What then are you going to be? It's going to be about your own life and just keep going the way you've been going? Or are you saying, God, I, I'm going to offer you my limitations. I'm going to offer you the times that I've shut myself down. I'm going to offer to you my fears or my setbacks. And God's going to go, I can work with that. I can work with that. I want you to be the kind of person who prepares a people for the Lord. Write this down, our Christmas gift and command from God is to prepare the way for Jesus by letting people know their sins can be forgiven because of God's mercy, mercy through Jesus Christ. So what do you and I do? We're to share that there's good news, that your sins can be washed away, that there's reconciliation between you and God, there can be peace between you and God, that God has tender mercy for you and that he loves you and that your sins can be forgiven and there can be peace between you and God. That's the good news of Christmas. Honestly, that's why we give gifts to each other. God gave his son. It's the greatest gift because of his tender mercy and because our sins can be forgiven. It's the greatest gift of all time. And he wants you and I to share that. And so what do we do? We share. We're like, we're going to give gifts to each other because we're remembering that you first gave a gift to us. And it's the greatest gift of all time. And people don't understand Christmas. They understand tradition. They understand movies. They understand sentiment, but do they know the meaning of Christmas? There's a man in Singapore, and he made friends with a Japanese guy, and, and he thought, well, I'm going to reach out. I'm a Christian man. I'm going to start to tell maybe the good news of Jesus to my friend from Japan. And so he started talking to him, and he thought, I'll use the Christmas story to help the message of 
Jesus makes sense to my friend from Japan. And so he said to him, well, do you celebrate Christmas? And the guy goes, no, what's that? He said, well, if I'm not mistaken, in your country, you celebrate a holiday on the 24th and 25th of December. Is that Christmas? And the guy goes, no. He goes, oh, you mean Xmas. Isn't that like your Valentine's Day? And the friend, the Singapore guy is like, no, like, Honestly, there's something so much bigger. Like in Japan, you didn't even know it was in that godless culture. This person didn't even know what Christmas was. And I believe you, there are many cultures who don't. I think there's many people in our culture who don't. They thought it was Xmas. By the way, the reason they call it Xmas is X is the C-H in Greek. So it would stand for Christ. Christmas. So if you ever see Xmas, don't get bent out of shape. So he began to share with his friend, let me tell you the real story that God in his tender mercy was preparing peace that your sins could be washed away, that there could be peace between you and God. And it was through the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. How might your faith grow when you stand strong in the face of opposition and choose to share Jesus with others? When you stand against that opposition, when you stand against the opposition on the internal opposition from yourself or the external opposition of other people, when you stand strong and you're able to be, listen, I just believe that even the furthest out person at least needs to hear the good news of Jesus and have the chance to decide for themselves if they will follow him or not. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree that even the furthest out person, the one who looks like they hate Jesus, should at least have the chance to hear the truth, and then be able to decide on their own? I think so. Even the furthest out relative. Some of you got crazy uncles, crazy aunts, crazy cousins, and even they need to hear the good news of Jesus. Well, what happens? We got to rewire the pathways of our brain that, that God is a big God. He's not a small God. A lot of people think God's a small God. No, God is a big God. God can do whatever he wants to do. He is huge. He can do it. He is a promise keeper, and he's given until he returns. He's given you and me the high calling to share the good news about salvation to those who don't know about God's tender mercy through Jesus. They just don't know. It's not their fault. They just don't know. But you and I can at least explain it to them. And then that's on them. Like, like God is wooing people's hearts. You don't know when he is or not. But what he wants is for his children to prepare the coming of the Lord, to prepare a people ready for the Lord. That's our job. So write this down. Obeying God's will for you and that which doesn't make sense can awaken hope in those who are unprepared for God. Do you realize that God seeks out people who aren't even seeking him? I've been reading recently that in the country of Iraq, that, that people there, Muslims, are having dreams where Jesus himself comes to them, and they are coming to Christ in droves. It's not through a missionary. It's not through anything else. But in the absence of the knowledge of truth, God is still going to reveal himself to people who are unprepared for him. And they're coming to Christ, and they want their country to come to Christ, and they want their friends to come to Christ. But God has called you and me to do that as well. So we need to obey God's will for us. In fact, it's interesting because there was a guy who used to think about Jesus in a pretty worldly way. 
His name was Saul, and Saul persecuted Christians. He was a devout Jew, and he persecuted Christians all over the place, and he was throwing them in jail. He had some of them put to death, and he was just zealous for God under Judaism. But God was revealing himself through Christ, and he hated Christ at first, and he was on the road to Damascus to go persecute more Christians outside of his country there, and all of a sudden a bright light hit him, and he heard a voice behind that light. He was blinded, and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you? He said, it is Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul gave his life to Christ right then. He was blinded for about three days. God sent someone to go speak to him and tell him the truth about the tender mercy of God to forgive him of his sins. And he accepted Christ, and he walked as a missionary the rest of his life and really transferred his name to Paul. One's a Hebrew saying of it, one's a Greek saying of his name. But this man used to think about Jesus in a worldly way. He doesn't think about Jesus in a worldly way anymore. And you got friends, and so do I, who think about Jesus in a worldly way. I just think about Jesus like the rest of the world. They're conditioned to shut that down. But guess what? When the truth hits them, when Jesus woos them, when they hear about the tender mercy of God and God's Holy Spirit draws them, they no longer think about Jesus in a worldly way. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those who should live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He says this, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then gave us what? Gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is trying to bring two parties together, right? Those who are enemies, those who are opposed. We're going to bring the two, and we're going to make them one. We're going to bring peace between two opposing parties. God has given you and me that ministry of reconciliation, that work. What does ministry mean? It means to serve. God's just called us serve by sharing the good news of Jesus. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that people could have their sins washed away. He says it this way, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what's our role? What kind of children are you and I going to be? We've got to be the kind of people who would implore our friends. At least, we just want to implore you, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. And they may refuse to listen. They may think you're out of your mind. They may think you don't make any sense. But you're not regarding Christ from a worldly point of view anymore. You know better. And so he's calling you and me to be the kind of people who share in our way, in our personality, the kind of people who invite and say, come with me to the house of God, the kind of people who reach out to friends and neighbors and people around us. 
And let me tell you, if you're in this room and you're seeking out, is Jesus real? And you're trying to figure out this whole faith thing and you're, you're kind of just saying, hey, is this for me? I want you to know there's the greatest place that you can be to get those questions answered and to keep seeking. And I want you to know right now, I will beg you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God today. Don't wait. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know the time that you may or may not have. Well, here's how this pattern worked. Watch the pattern. Number five on your outline, John prepared people to be ready for Jesus. And Jesus' sacrifice is the only way for people to have peace with God. And God entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not optional. It's not optional. It wasn't optional for John. That John was, that was his part that he was to play in the big story of God. His story of you was to play that role in the big story of God. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, the Christmas account is so beautiful. You know why? Because it's not God just trying to be this massive big God. He is being a big God, but he's doing it through the unexpected. And it reminds us that God can unexpectedly use you and me to reach people around us. I mean, the Christmas account shows us that God will use old men, old women, teenagers, religious, non-religious people, shepherds, and even stars in the heaven to get people to understand that in his tender mercy, he is bringing himself to earth to sacrifice himself on a cross to make salvation available to those who would put their trust in him. He's reconciling the world to himself. That's a loving God. That's not a God who spins a world in existence and says, good luck with that. It's a God who loves you. It's a God who works and initiates to reconcile you to him and others to him. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, verse 19 tells us, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. So let me ask, the people with anticipation said, what then kind of child is this going to be? And I want to ask you, as you ask your heart, what kind of child am I going to be? Until the return of God, until his coming back, are you and I going to be the kind of people who risk? We don't just shut ourselves down, but we reach out and we offer God our li liabilities. And then let me ask you this, have you become the child of God? Have you been reconciled to God? Have you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross? Have you received salvation through the forgiveness of your sins because of the tender mercy of God who wants to not count your sins against you? And so he sent Jesus to fix that situation. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life for a moment, I want to ask, have you been reconciled to God? And if today you just you feel that on the inside, you know God is drawing you, then would you just pray a prayer to him? like this, right where you're seated, just even on the inside, God knows your thoughts and your heart. Would you just pray this? Say, Jesus, today, I want to be reconciled to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, and you rose to new life. Create in me a new creation on the inside. Would you wash me as white as snow and forgive me of all my sin? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer with your heads bowed, eyes closed, anywhere around the room or in the loft, that you would just raise your hand. If you just prayed that prayer right now, right here in the front, greatest decision you could ever make. 
right here in the front, greatest decision you could ever make, and just making that decision to come to the Lord, to be reconciled to God. That's awesome. You might be in the loft. My friends will see you up there. But believers in the room, I'm going to call you to appoint a decision right now, too. That right now, maybe God is putting in your mind somebody who at least needs the chance to hear. And would you just listen to the Holy Spirit for a moment? And would you consider at this time of year asking and drawing that person? Maybe you invite them to church. Maybe you just sit down with them and talk about, let's read Luke 1 and 2. And just talk about what the Bible says the Christmas story is all about. And let God just lead that discussion. Let him lead their questions. Because I believe that God wants to reconcile people to himself. And if that's you, if today as a believer already in Jesus Christ, you're willing to say, I'm willing to risk when God brings that opportunity in the next couple of weeks, would you just raise your hand? Anywhere around the room, hands all over the place. You're saying, I'm willing. I'm willing, God. I mean, I watched just a, two weeks ago a family in our church who had lost a relative and they wanted it to be all about Jesus and they watched about 24 of their friends and relatives come to Christ at a memorial service. God, thank you for the willingness to share yourself and take our sin upon yourself. We love you. We need you, God. We praise you for what you're doing in and through and among us. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.